we honor you. Name that is above every name, we bless you. King of kings and Lord of lords, we honor you. We thank you for your precious blood. We thank you for the great salvation you've given us. We thank you that you hold us in the palm of your hand, that you keep us from falling, that you supply our needs, and you're a shield all around us. We thank you that you anoint our hands for battle. We thank you, Lord, for your word, which nourishes us and instructs us and equips us. Jesus, we love you. Speak to us tonight through your word. Give us fresh understanding to know you better, to walk in the fullness of your victory. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, if you would go to Psalm 26. We're going to read this from the New King James Version. We're kind of just studying this psalm for just two or three weeks. And we're calling this um, Living Beyond Reproach, Living Above Reproach. As you can see, David begins, verse 1, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, for I have walked blamelessly. He says, I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. I won't slip. And then here in verse 2, David says, Examine me, O Lord. Prove me. Try me. Try my heart. He's inviting divine scrutiny. That's important. For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. And he says, I walk continually in your truth. I've not sat with um, deceitful men or the idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites separation. I've hated the assembly of evildoers. I won't sit with the wicked. Now we'll get to that next week, that doctrine of divine separation. I will wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I might proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of your wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house. He said, I love the house in which your glory dwells. And amen. Amen. Oh, do you love God's house? See, there's a man of integrity, a man that lives beyond. He loves God's house. Amen. He goes, I love your house. Why? Because that's where your glory dwells. And that's where your people go. He identifies with God's glory and identifies with God's people. What a wonderful thought. We'll dig into that more next time. Lord, I've loved the habitation of your house, the place where your glory dwells. And we'll just, we'll just pause there. Now, last week we looked at, well, let's look at our outline. Go ahead and give us that next slide up there. We'll give you the outline and then we'll just dig into our study. Living Beyond Reproach. And we outlined it like this. An honest examination. An honest examination. We're going to live beyond reproach and walk in integrity. We have to prop, um, practice proper examination. Amen? Examine me. Search me, O God, and see. But secondly, they are going to see a holy separation. A holy separation. And that's one thing that's a Bible doctrine. You can open up any book in that New Testament. You can certainly go to the major theme of the Old Testament. And there is a distinction between God's people and the people of the world. And God calls us to live a life of moral, ethical separation. Holy separation. And then we see a happy celebration. 
Because, see, I love the house of God. He says, I love to praise you in that house. And I love to testify of your goodness. And I love to gather with people that love you like I love you. Amen? It's good to get with people that love to praise the Lord, isn't it? Isn't it good just to worship God and, and they're not looking at you like three heads. Instead, they're shouting along with you. Amen? They got a tear coming down their cheek just like you do. I mean, that means you're in the right place. Amen? People of a like precious faith. And there's a happy celebration. And lastly, there's a humble determination. Because at the end, he says, but as for me, I'm going to walk in my integrity. Others might cut corners. Others might chase after whatever the world is selling. But I'm going to make up my mind as for me. I'm going to walk in integrity. So we're talking about living beyond reproach. And really this, what we're dealing with here is an honest examination. Verses 1, 2, and 3. That's all we're going to be able to cover tonight. But we started last time with walking in integrity. Walking in integrity. That first part, integrity, we said one of the wonderful things, when I walk in integrity, I'm walking with a purity and a sincerity and a wholeness. There's no duplicity. There's no hypocrisy. You know, a whole number, an integer, integrity. I don't just live it here and don't live it there. I live what I believe. I do it in private, do it in public. And we studied this and we looked at a bunch of verses, but when we walk in integrity, we said that it brings a security to our lives. The Bible says he that walks in is secure. He that walks in integrity. And when you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to fear, do you? When, when, you, when you live right, you don't worry about someone exposing you. Nothing to expose. Amen? Look in any closet you want. There's nothing there. It's a wonderful peace when you walk pure before the Lord. So we studied that. Those that have integrity, those that live what they believe, live without some evil being found out or discovered, and therefore they have a peace and a stability and a security in their lives. And then we read about walking in integrity. Not only does it bless you, but you know what? We read how in Proverbs um, 20 and 7, it blesses those around you. This says the children of those that walk in integrity will be blessed. That those that are under your sphere of influence, instead of you, instead of you cursing them, you're going to bless them. Amen? And instead of you being an instrument the enemy can mess up their lives, when you walk in integrity, you're protecting those you love. You're, you're bringing blessing to those you love. What a beautiful thought. And then lastly, we said about walking in integrity, the last Proverb 28.6 we looked at, we said it's so important that we measure things with God's measuring stick. Because you know the Bible says in that, in that proverb that God esteems integrity greater than great riches. Now the world don't think that, do they? I mean, a lot of Christians don't think that. But in God's economy, the way God Almighty measures things, and He's really the only one that matters, He says, I applaud, I esteem integrity greater than all the materialism and all the wealth of men. And folks, we ought to love integrity the same. Amen? More than the applause of men, more than the promotion. If I have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, I want to do what's right. I have a desire to live out what I believe. So this is walking in integrity. Walking, we, we touched on that. Walking in integrity. And then this, this evening, practicing moral examination. That comes from verse 2. In verse 2, very simply, he says, examine me. Prove me, test me, try me, try my heart and mind, practicing moral examination. Here we find David's being open before God. He's walking in the light, and even more than that, he's letting, he's allowing God to examine him. You know, you've got to let God examine you. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to search you. 
You see, it just, I mean, because this God, you know, it doesn't work otherwise. Here David is inviting divine scrutiny into his life because David desires divine affirmation in his life. It wasn't so much, God, you, um, you vindicate me in front of the people. No, no, number one, Lord, I want to be vindicated in your eyes. So you go ahead and search me, Lord. Because if I know you're pleased with we'll deal with the rest. And if they never come around, well, as long as I know, Lord, I'm right in your eyes. That's what matters. So what we have here, David, again, he's inviting divine scrutiny. He wants divine approval. Again, he is not only walking in the light, he's allowing God to examine him. You see, there's a surrender in allowing God to search us. There's a surrender in allowing God to search us. Can we trust God enough to let Him search us? Do we love God enough to let Him search us? Are we serious enough about our Christian experience that we'll let God search us? It might not always be easy when God searches us, but it's good for us. It's healthy for us. Can you say amen? We save ourselves a whole lot of trouble if we just let God examine me. Let a man examine us. Lord, examine me. Search me, O God. See if there be anything in there that's going to lead me down the wrong road. See if there's anything in there that's going to destroy me in the end. And now when we get to the point of a willing heart, create me a clean heart. Well, you can't have a clean heart until you have a surrendered heart. Because until that heart is yielded to God, it's not going to be clean. All right? So once I have the willingness, once I have a desire that I want to walk upright before God, I, you know... I don't know about you, but if you had a good dad, you wanted his approval. I'm just talking from a, a, a boy's perspective. If you had a good dad, one of the biggest things in life is his approval. Isn't that true? If you had a good dad, you wanted him pleased with you. Isn't that right? You want him to trust you and look at And I'm telling you as a Christian, we ought to be hungry for the approval of God. We ought to really desire to walk in a way where our Heavenly Father, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That ought to motivate us. That ought to be something that drives us. We ought to care about what God thinks about us. Not so much about what men think. That has its place. But what God thinks. Amen? And when I do that, I'm going to have a willing heart. And now, a willing heart, from that, there are two key things, two key agents. There's a few, but there's two key agents that God uses to examine me and to cleanse me and to mature me. There's the Word of God, and there's the Holy Spirit. Now, he'll use tests and trials. He'll use other things. But the two key agents in this that God uses. So right there, I'm telling you, if you are not committed and developed a, a devotional time, you're, you're kind of swimming upstream, aren't you? Just, just by me telling you from the Word of God that the two key agents that God gives you and I to grow in faith, to grow in purity, To become who He's called us to be is His Word and His Holy Spirit. And if you don't have a devotional life, what what, what, what are you you saying? You're saying you're putting yourself in a a bad situation. You're not going to grow very much. Amen? You can't ignore the tools God gives you. But number one, there's the Word of God. Number two, the Holy Spirit of God. Let's look at these a little deeper. Now, now Jimmy, go go to... um, Go to James, start out with verses 22 through 25. I know I have them reversed for you, but I, I want to, I yeah, I want to start there. Now, there are two things for the Word of God, okay? Now, 
it's not enough just to, to, to have a Bible on our shelves. A lot of people have it. They've got to dust it off every now and again. Amen? Because they don't use it. But we have to be men and women that, that are committed to daily discipline of feeding on the Word of God. Because the Word of God is one of the key agents and instruments that God uses to keep me clean, to keep me spiritually healthy. Spiritual hygiene, right? The Word of God. You want to wash? you got to wash with that Word. Amen? You want to get your vitamins? you got to eat that Word. Amen? That's where it comes from. But let's notice this. Number one, um, James says, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And we'll touch on this one a little later, but i got to do more than just hear it. I've got to apply it. But let's go on. We want to get to this other verse here. Verse 23. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. Now, he's going to equate the Word of God to a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks looks at. I mean, we don't just want those that do read their Bible. We don't want to just speed read our Bible, do we? We don't want to just read it so fast so we can say, ah, did my devotion. No, no, we, we want to look at it. It's like going to the mirror. Well, you, what are you looking in the mirror for? So you know where, what blemish you need to cover up. <laughs> so you, you know where you got to shave. You missed that little mark there with, your, with your, you know, the razor. So you go, oh, that, that gray one don't look good. I mean, you know, you got to do those. Well, why, why, well, the Word of God... Is not so we can just rush over it, so we can look at it and let it look at us. But the man who looks intently, intently, look at that one, intently. When we approach the Word of God, we, we, we do intently. Amen? I, I, I'm coming to the Word of God to learn something. Amen? I'm coming to the Word of God to be fed. Isn't that right? You know, your, your, your approach to certain things determines a whole bunch of what you'll get out of certain things. You can see some kids go to a class and, and you know the best teacher in the world could be there and it's going to go in one ear and out the other. But others come, they're ready to learn. They're hungry. Maybe that's their major. Maybe that's something they're interested in. But they come hungry. Isn't that right? And it's amazing when you can get like a C student, he can, he can get like a B plus in a class he's interested in. Because he's coming and he's intently into it. He's paying attention. He's alert. He, he's not over in China somewhere. So when we look in the Word of God, we look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. And you know what? We continue to do this, don't we? We, we continue to look at that Word. We spend time meditating on the Word. I don't just speed read it. I say, Lord, what's this teaching me? Lord, what are you saying to me through this? If I spend quality time in the Word of God, that Word of God will spend quality time in me. He continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it. He'll be blessed. He will be blessed. He will be blessed in what He does. So again, when we, we go to the Word of God, because the Word of God is one of the key things God's going to use to um, mature us, to develop us, and to cleanse us. And if I'm going to be the man God's called me to be, I've got to spend time in God's Word. I've got to discipline myself to spend time in God's Word. It's impossible to be anything but subpar in your Christianity if you are not a disciplined person that reads the Word of God. Jesus, a man, doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's good for your teaching, your correcting. So again, this is one of the key agents God gives us. But here we learn, not only do I have to read the Word, but when I read the Word, i got to be into reading the Word. Amen? And I don't need to be rushing. You are better off reading one chapter a day than speed reading five and you don't remember nothing. You're better off reading it 
saying, Lord, what are you showing me in this? Lord, what can I believe here? How can I change? Remember, you're looking at that mirror. Isn't that right? <laughs> I mean, you know, some people, they get in front of a mirror, they don't rush. Isn't that right? Amen. <laughs> we could have fun with that one, couldn't we? They get in front of that mirror, they're going to be there a while. Amen. We get in front of that word, don't rush. Don't rush. That news will wait. It's all bad, and they're going to repeat it five times in the other five channels. So get in that word, don't rush. Read it. Think about what you read. Ask the Holy Ghost. Give you insight. Help you to apply it to your life. I'm not here to apply it to Brother Sam's life. I've got to apply it to my life. Amen? You know, some people hear sermons and they always got it for someone else. No, no, no. Apply it to me. Me, me. But now, now, once I read it now, once I read it, and I feed on that Word. Amen? I'm feeding on the Word of the bread of life. How do I respond when the Word begins to work in my life? You know, the older you get, your body changes a little bit. Ain't found that out? I know you have. Amen. And, and I, I found out a certain type of vitamin I've taken almost all, you know, years and years since I've been an adult. I hit a certain age and all of a sudden, you know what? That vitamin messing me up, man. It's, I mean, I never, I've been taking that thing since I was 20. Now all of a sudden I hit a certain age and man, I don't, I, I, I can't take it anytime. I got to take it a certain time. And when we feed on the Word of God, you know the Bible says the Word of God is living and active, sharper than two-edged sword? You know that it's not just ink and paper? That the Spirit of the living God wrote that through holy men of God? And that Word is a living Word from God? And as you take that in with a willing heart, and you gaze and you take it in, that Word begins to work in you. And when the Word begins to work, it's very important how you and I respond to the working of the Word. How I respond to the Word will determine what the Word is able to produce in me. Go backwards, Jimmy, to the ver- pre- previous verses that I, that I gave you. Again, James, that first chapter. But here we go. This is what we want to get. Now, my dear brothers, take note of this. Write this down, James says. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life God desires. Therefore, anybody here have a, ever have a garden? Anybody here? I know i got farmers. i got some farmers here. Amen? This farmer's territory. Anyone ever have a garden? Sure you did. You go into the fair with your big pumpkins and stuff. All right, you're raising your hogs. Okay, here. All right, I want you to think about a garden because he's going to... We talked about a mirror. Now the Word is going to be talking about the Word going into soil. So I want you to get that so you can understand this. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. And the evil that is so prevalent. If you're going to have a garden, you've got to do some weeding. Amen? You know, if I'm going to read the Bible and I have known sin in my life, I, I can't, I've I got I to I confess it. Isn't that true? You're right. you, you know if you've done your dad wrong. He told you to get in at a certain time. You know you're an hour late. You don't just walk up to him the next day, Hey, Dad, what's going on? You know there's accountability coming. You've got to make things right. And so when I approach the Word of God, if I want that word to work in me, I've got to get rid of all moral filth. And the moral filth is an interesting word. You can trace it back in the Greek to like wax in the ear. So I've got to get the, the wax out so I can hear what God's saying. And there's no interference. Why is it that you can preach a message that you know is exactly for a certain person and they don't get it at all? Because when there's spiritual wax in the ear, there's a lot of interference. 
that enables a person not to receive, hinders a person from receiving. You ever wonder that? You know their story. You know, and just the word of the Lord goes forth and you know a bullseye. It's just a bullseye. Amen. You know that, right? And you're wondering, how can they sit here? Well, you reach a certain point when you got wax, spiritual wax, where you're not receiving. You don't hear it. So therefore, if you want to get the most out of your Bible reading and you want to be a mature, strong man or woman of God, get rid of the wax or the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. We live in a wicked world. It's all around us. Amen? And then now, okay, now that you've cleaned out the garden, right? You've weeded out the garden. I'm going to have a garden over here. You don't just throw in the seed, do you? You prepare the soil. Am I right? Anybody? I never had a garden in my life, but I watch enough TV. All right. I know that if you're going to plant your carrots or your tomatoes or whatever you plant around here, I know you just don't go in the backyard and say, ha, ha, let's throw some over there. You toil it, right? You break up that fallow ground. Am I right? You take out the, the whatever junk is there, the weeds. You, you got. And if I'm going to get the most out of God's word, that word is like a seed. I've got to get rid of the stuff that's hindering me. I cannot hold a grudge against my wife and expect God to speak to me through His word. You know the Bible says God won't even answer my prayer if I'm not treating her right. If I don't treat her right, God says I'm not listening to you, boy. You can yell, you can shun die, you can you know till you're sweating down. I mean, you can you know. Drop, fall your, drop yourself in the Spirit. God says, I don't hear a thing. And you don't get things right. And it's the same principle. I'm going to get rid of whatever is hindering me from hearing from God. I want to get rid of anything that's keeping me from responding to the Word of God. But now, once I get the Word in, look at this next part. And humbly accept the Word planted in you which can save you, King James, which can save your soul. He's talking to believers. He's not talking about getting saved. He's talking about the working of the Word in the life of a saved person. And one of the ways we assist the Word in working, I mean, if you're going to read the book, don't you want to get the most out of it? If you're going to spend time with God, don't you want to get the most out of it? And James is saying here, well, number one, get rid of anything that might hinder. Get rid of anything that might keep God from revealing, giving you revelation and speaking to you. But now when that Word comes and it begins to work in the soil of your heart, Sometimes that word, um, it ouches a little bit. Has the word ever ouched you? Man, it ouches me all the time. Amen? I get around them verses about being patient, your anger, and all those kind of things. And ouch! Isn't that right? Now what do I do? Do I ignore it? No, i got to embrace it. So humbly accept. Let me give you some other verses here. The New King James. In humility, receive the word. That's the New American Standard. King James, receive with meekness the Word. In humble and gentle, modest spirit, here it is, amplified, receive and welcome the Word. Think about it. Receive and welcome the Word. When you open your Bible to read it, receive and welcome the Word. And let it work. And if it's, you know, sometimes medicines do different things, don't they? But they're good medicines, aren't they? Sometimes they might hurt a little bit. They're clean, you know, that peroxide or whatever cleanses things out. But notice that. If you want the Word of God to work in... And we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about sanctification. We're talking about transformation. And one of the key agents that God transforms us is through the working of His Word. But I have to humbly accept the Word or welcome and receive the Word if I want it to work in my life. 
So number one, you know, David is, is saying here, um, Lord, search me. Lord, seek me. Lord, test me. And for us, we recognize that God does those things primarily through His Word and through the Holy Spirit. But the Word itself, if I don't respond properly to it, won't have its full effect in me. So number one, I'm, I'm not going to just speed read the Word. Well, number one, let me back up. If I don't have a consistent devotion in life, I'm going to start one. If I don't have reading the Bible, forget the other junk. If you're not reading the Bible, that's the God's Word. Amen? That comes before anything. I'm going to read the Bible. And when I read it, I don't speed read it. I chew on that thing. All right? You ever have a good steak? You like to chew on it, man. It's good. You don't just swallow that thing. You enjoy it. When you read that Bible, chew on that thing. Let it talk to you. But then as I take it in, I want to humbly accept that Word. Even if that Word ouches me. Even if that word stretches me. You know, that word starts working. Sometimes you want to, oh, well, I, I, give it to brother so-and-so. That word starts challenging you. Oh, next page, next page, next page. I don't want that one. Amen? But humbly embrace, hold on to that word, and, and, and let it work. Can you say amen? But now secondly is the Holy Spirit. Now, now where does the, the Holy Spirit dwell? In us. We're temples of the... Alright. So Holy Spirit dwells within us as believers, okay? Now, let's learn to identify the voice and the communication of the Holy Spirit. The Word and the Spirit are the two primary agents that are going to keep me clean, help me to grow in my Christ-likeness, help me to mature, help me to heal, help me to become what God's called me to be. There's the Word and the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, again, He'll convict me. He'll communicate to me. He'll encourage me. He'll inspire me. You know, the Holy Spirit, you ever, get a, you ever do something and get a heavy feeling after it? The Holy Spirit wasn't pleased, was He? You, you ever walk by something and you felt a tug and you ignored it? And the whole way back, the Holy Spirit said, I wanted you to stop and talk to someone. You felt a little grieved, didn't you? You ever said something and you know you probably shouldn't have said it? Yellow for Holy, Holy Spirit. But now, we're not going to look these verses up because we don't have time, but I'll, I'll give you the text. But this is the Holy Spirit. New Testament. The Holy Spirit. You know, you and I can, number one, you know, we, we can grieve or wound the Holy Spirit. That's in Ephesians 4 and 30. That if you and I sin, and you and I do what we, we know is disobedient to God, you know, we can wound the Holy Spirit. We can grieve. Have you ever been grieved? Has anyone ever done anything to you that just grieved and wounded you? Well, God's Word is trying to communicate to us. This is how the Holy Spirit feels. The Holy Spirit that He gave us to transform us into the image of Jesus. But if I am not living as I ought, it's wounded. When I sense in my spirit God is wounded, I need to stop everything. And I say, Lord, where did I miss it? Take not thy Holy Spirit. I don't, no, no, Lord, I don't want, I don't want this. And we get it right. You know, we can, you know, we can resist the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in, in Acts 7 51, when you hear the word preached to you and you ignore it, and you think, well, that's not for me, or I don't want to do that, you know, you're, you're resisting the Holy Spirit. Stephen's preaching, and you always resisted the Holy Spirit. God's word comes, and, well, that's not for me. You know, that's not, we resist the Holy Spirit. You know that we can actually insult the Holy Spirit? Do you know in Hebrews, Hebrews note takers, Hebrews 10 and 29, do you know when we willfully sin, we make a mockery of the blood of Jesus 
And the Bible says we insult the Holy Spirit. Wow. So listen, when you feel these things in your own heart, though those are warning signs that something's wrong. Those are, you know, those are signs that you can, oh, oh, Lord, don't cross gold, don't collect $200. I need to stop here. I need to get this right. You know that the Bible says that we can test and lie to the Holy Spirit. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? This is in Acts 5. You can lie to the Holy Spirit. You know when God's word is going forth and you say, oh, I'm okay, and you're not, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Two people dropped dead in the early church when they did that. So, you know, we can, we can lie to the Holy Spirit. How about we can quench the Holy Spirit? Now that's in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 19. Quench. Has anyone ever quenched you? Have you ever been pumped up about something and someone just doused your flame? Anyone? Hey, have you ever been pumped up? You wanted to do something and someone just let the air out. Quenched. You know, we can quench the Spirit. Sin quenches the Spirit. Complacency quenches the Spirit. Disobedience quenches. So, listen, these are all things the Holy Spirit does. So, recognize these things. And if you feel these things in your heart, you recognize, I am wounding and grieving the Holy Spirit of God. The God that lives in me. The Holy Spirit. That is the chief enabling force to change me and heal me and strengthen me. I think it was Bob Mumford that for, for a season in his life, he worked with Catherine Kuhlman. And he says sometimes be on, the, on the stage before the service would start, um, she'd be praying and getting ready um, to go out. And then she'd come out and pray. And sometimes something would happen and she would, and you know, something was not right in the service. She'd say, stop it, stop it. Don't grieve the Spirit. He's all I got. Don't grieve the Spirit. He's all we got. No longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. And if I quench that Holy Spirit, there's not going to be much living in me. So that's the Holy Spirit and the Word. So listen, I want to stay sensitive. And I want to be quick to agree with God. And I want to allow God to examine me. And one way He does that, through His Word and through the working of the Holy Spirit. Alright, let's go to the next one. Living out God's truth. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. And here, David is saying, he says, alright, search me God, test me God. And then finally he says in verse 3, your loving kindness is before my eyes and I have walked in your truth. Or NIV, I walk continually in your truth. Now, here we go. If I'm going to live beyond reproach, I have to be committed to walk in integrity. I live what I believe. I live the same in private as in public. I'm not wearing a mask. That's hypocrisy. I'm not acting this way today and that way tomorrow. That's duplicity. Uh, integrity. I'm sincere. I'm the same. Number two, I have to practice moral examination because I live in a corrupt world and I'm a fallen creature. And if I don't allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to examine me, it's just too easy to let carnality grow. It's just too easy to allow things that come in that grieve the Spirit. But number three, we learn here, I have to be committed to living out God's truth. If I'm going to be a man or a woman of God that lives beyond reproach, one that God can say, this is my beloved Son whom I am well pleased, you and I must be committed to living out God's truth. Not just knowing it, but doing it. So let's look at some verses here. 
Number one, this means living out God's truth. This means practicing the truth, not just knowing the truth. If we would, Matthew 7, Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Because we're going to have a lifestyle of integrity. We're going to walk continually in God's truth. And again, this means practicing the truth, not just knowing it. And I've got to, we've got to become into a reality here. It's easy to say amen here, but out there, when I've got to practice truth and I've got to practice integrity, sometimes that's costly. Your boyfriend might leave you. Let the joker go. Rather have God than him. Amen? Thank you, Leo. God bless you. Are you with me? Are you with me? No, if I'm going to walk in integrity. Jesus said people in your own family might not like you too much. Didn't Jesus say that? Am I quoting Jesus? Yeah. When we, we make up our minds to serve God and live holy. Oh, no, no, no. Not everyone applauds you. So when I walk in integrity, it's one thing to talk about it theoretically here, but you've got the guts to do it when you're out there. When it might cost you the, the promotion because you're not out drinking with the boys and swapping those ugly stories. That's integrity. When they say lie for me, I can't lie for you. Or else, or else God, I don't get zapped, man. I fear the Lord. You ought to fear God a little bit more. See what we're getting at? Because it's, you know what, I, I, we got we to bring it home here. So living out God's truth, and it's a very important part of living beyond reproach, means practicing the truth, not just knowing the truth. Devils know truth and believe truth, don't they? They don't act it. They don't live it. And it's not always comfortable, and it's not always easy, but it's best. Look at this. These are the words of Jesus. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, walking out that truth, living out that truth, not just knowing the truth. In fact, you know, the more you know, the greater your judgment will be. Better off not knowing than to know and rebel. Isn't that true? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, he's like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Jesus said, the doer of the word. Not just the singer of the word. Not, 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 not even just the teacher of the word. Because I've known a lot of preachers and teachers who weren't living it. Isn't that right? I'll give you so many times to say amen. Come on, get with me. Let's go. Go ahead. A little truth is good. No, a little truth is good for us. Amen? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Everyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice. It's like a wise man built his house on a rock. It's the doing that builds the foundation of your life, not just the knowing. It's the doing and the practicing and the applying of God's truth that builds a strong, sturdy foundation, not just the knowing. Not, not just, all right. What's that next verse tell us? The rain came. I don't care if you're good or not good. Rain's going to come. Amen? It don't make any difference. You love God, you don't love God. The rains are going to come. The rain came and the stream rose and the winds blew and beat against that. Yet it did not fall. Talking about a doer of the word here. Amen. They're built on. They're not built on shale. They're not. They're not built on this. The, the, you know the the. No 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 no. Why it had its foundation on the rock. We develop a firm foundation for life. This life and the life to come. Not by just knowing the word, but by doing the word. 
Not just by understanding it, but by practicing it. And in fact, all that takes place as we study our Bible, the more you know, the greater responsibility and requirement you have. The greater accountability. That's what the Bible teaches. Let's look at that next one. Let's go. But everyone who hears these words and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. They're foolish, but sooner or later, payday someday. Sooner or later, judgment comes. Sooner or later, God says, you know what? My mercy, I give you time, but God is God. And I don't know why it seems like he gives some little time and some he gives years. I don't know. I don't know. God is God. But one thing I do know, there's a time when you can exhaust the patience and mercy of God. And everyone, you, you, this house, and the rain came, and the stream rose, and the winds blew, and beat against that house. And guess what? It fell with a great crash. There's an exposure of hypocrisy and insincerity. But the person of integrity is not just learning, he's doing. He's not just knowing, he's applying. That person, God said, has a foundation that will endure. The storms are coming to the good. Storms are coming to the not too good. Amen? Storms come. It don't matter how long you've walked with God. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible you know or don't. Storms are part of this life. But what that storm will do to me will ultimately determine how I've lived. John 17 and 17. John 17 and 17. Again, this is underneath practicing the truth, not just knowing it. Very simple. Jesus said, sanctify them by thy truth. You know, I said earlier, you're not going to go very far if you're not consistent in your Bible reading. You've not developed. You can't do it. It's an impossibility. It's like telling a baby that's born, if you don't eat, you're going to do well. You're not going to do well. If you don't eat, you're going to die. Am I right? If a person, if a Christian doesn't feed on the Word of God, they're not going to grow to where they should be. They might make it in. They might somehow, but they'll never be who God's called them to be. They'll never grow and overcome. They won't be healthy. And again, sanctify them, Jesus. Sanctify them by the truth. Sanctification. The setting apart. The transformation of my life. How's it come? Not by watching Fox News. How's it come? Not by listening to the Joy FM. How's it come? By that truth. By that Word. Your Word is truth. Your Word is truth. Truth is not what men say it is or what we believe it is. It's what God has declared it to be. Amen? Truth. And that truth will set you and I apart. That truth will set me free from the old me. That truth will make me into the one God's called me to be. But that truth will come through the Word. And not just the hearing of the Word. The doing. The applying. The living. Okay. Living out God's truth. Practicing the truth, not just knowing it. Here we go. We must do it, not just believe it. James 1 and 22. James 1 and 22. I'm going to do it, not just believe it. Not enough just to believe it. Do you believe? Yes. Are you doing it? I believe. You believe in tithing? Are you tithing? I believe we're supposed to be faithful to God's house. Are you faithful to God's house? I believe Christians are supposed to live holy. Are you living holy? Be holy because I'm holy still in the book. Amen? That didn't change in 1988. I mean, mean, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So I can actually deceive myself? 
I mean, we're blaming things on the devil. I know he's a deceiver, but sometimes he's not the one. We're deceiving ourselves. If we're just listening to the Word, but not applying and living the Word. Let's look at James 2, verses 17, and then verse 26. Because the Bible says in the same way, faith by itself, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith without works is dead. So what he's saying here, faith that is just merely a mental agreement is not Bible-applauding faith. The faith that God applauds and God approves of is a faith that has an evidence of action. Because we can sit there and someone can say, I believe this, this, but don't live it. And that's not the faith God accepts. The faith God accepts. I am believing in my heart, but I'm living it out with my life. So again, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied, you see, my faith and my confession has to be accompanied by action. If not, in God's sight, it's dead. Look at now verse 26, verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Living out God's truth. David said, I live it out continually. That's the sign of a man or woman of integrity. We live it when it's easy. We live it when it's not. We live it when it's popular. We live it when it's not. Come on. Amen. Talking about integrity. I'm going to be honest even when it costs me. I'm going to be honest when it's not. Right? I'm going to be honest. Sometimes walking in God's truth will cost you. It cost the people in the New Testament, didn't it? They, they, they could have saved themselves being thrown in the lion's den. All they had to do real quick, say, Caesar is Lord, just do it once a year, get the little seal that they paid their, their, their tax, and they let him go. They we couldn't do that. One of the biggest things that threw the early Christians into the arena where they got tore apart by lions. They put them on stakes and they lit them on fire. They made them human torches. Demon-possessed Nero. And one of the big things that got them in trouble is they would not bow and say, Caesar is Lord. And they didn't have to do it every day. You just have to do it once, once a year and pay your tax. So it wasn't like, you know, they had to change your whole life. But they couldn't do it. Because they knew Jesus is Lord. So many of them lost their lives. See, sometimes integrity might cost you. Sometimes really living for Jesus might cost you. Let it cost you here. Don't let it cost you there. All right. Living out God's truth. Practicing the truth, not just knowing it. We must do it, not just believe it. And lastly, this is a sign, a characteristic of being a disciple. One of the signs of a true follower of Jesus Christ is they're doers of the Word. They live out the truth. They don't just say a prayer. They don't just agree to some doctrine. They live out a lifestyle. It says, I love Jesus. Look, if you would, John 8, 31 through 32. John 8, 31 through 32. And again, this is Jesus. To the Jews that had believed in him, just what Jesus said to them, they believed. He says, now listen, if you hold to my teaching, if you abide in my teaching, if you remain in my teaching. So the word there is continue. You continue in the truth, Okay. He says, if you hold on to my teaching, 
you, then you're really my disciples. Then you're really, you might have said it, we believe in you, because they saw the miracles and they saw, but he said, now listen, I'll tell you, here's a sign if you're really a disciple. Do you hold on to that teaching? Do you abide in that word? Do you live continually in that truth? Then, 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 as you walk in it, as you abide in it, as you live in it, then you'll really know the truth. That truth will set you free. That truth will make you who you need to be. That truth will make you, oh man, glory be to God forevermore. Amen? All right, good enough. Praise the Lord. Living beyond reproach. Next time we're going to very simply look at this. Next week, um, to finish out, because we're just doing this in three weeks. Next week, we're going to look at the marks of a blameless or righteous life. And we're going to walk through the remainder of this psalm. And we're going to see, number one, that a righteous life, it has a separation from the world. A righteous life has a personal innocence. A righteous life gives praise and testimony. A righteous life loves God's house and identifies with God's people. That's in the rest of the psalm. Hallelujah. Amen. Folks, what this world needs more than even just another political leader, they need real Christians. They need real Christians. More more than taxes up, down, whatever. But they need real Christians. They need men and women so full of Jesus that love the lost but live holy in a fallen world. Amen? Willing to serve God. Willing to love men. We need real Christians. It might be costly. Jesus never painted us a rosy picture, did He? He said, man, you're going you're to follow me. You're going to do some cross-carrying. You're going to follow me. You know, it's not always going to be easy. But it'll be worth it. We're not gunning for what's easy here. We're gunning for the, the applause of heaven someday. Amen? And so I pray that each one of us can do our best not just to be knowers of the Word, but to be doers of the Word. Let us strive to be men and women of integrity, living beyond reproach. This world needs some real Christians. This world needs some real Christians. Let's be that. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Help us to live holy. Help us to live pure and righteous. Help us to be men and women of integrity that live beyond reproach. The same in private as we are in public. And Lord, we don't want to just be knowers of the Word. We want to be doers of the Word. We don't want to just hear it. We want to apply it and live it out in our lives. Help us, Lord, to be a pure and sincere witness and testimony of a life that You've transformed. Help us, Lord, to walk upright before you in the good times and in the bad. Use our lives as a witness in this dark world. And help us, Lord, to always stay in the straight and narrow. Help us, Lord, to reject those things that would try to trip us up or deceive us or sway us. And just give us a fresh passion. Give us a sincere passion to hear your well done on that day. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, God bless you. We'll see you on Sunday. Don't forget your offering. Don't forget your distancing.